Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning, Joseph. It's great to have you on the show. How are you? Oh, it's great to talk to you. How are you? I'm living the dream. (laughs) Or is it a nightmare? By your book's title, I would think maybe we're in a nightmare, right? Well, we have a lot of problems. Our democracy is damaged. Uh, We have problems. There's a colossal concentration of power. And the president, which makes him tower over the other branches. Congress is crippled. They really can't seem to get anything done. And, and the courts are becoming politicized. But uh, if our people understand these problems, we'll deal with them. And that's why I wrote the book. I want our people to understand what the problems are in Washington. Isn't anyone president or anyone Congress? or anyone's Supreme Court. It's been building for, uh, oh, I guess half a century. But uh, the book is really, here's the problems, now let's deal with them. We the people can and must deal with them. Now, uh, you were in um, the uh, the Johnson uh, White House, right? Will Absolutely. You, can you explain what you think, what, what happened since then? Like, what has happened to well, make the institution so damaged? Well, let me, let me give you an example, a couple of quick examples. Uh, war. Uh, Congress has the exclusive power to wage war under the Constitution. Yet over the last 50 years, presidents, every president has sent troops into combat, Americans, millions of them, millions have been wounded, 100,000 killed, there's never been a declaration of war. The White House staff, uh, when I was in the Johnson administration, we were about, the total staff was about 50 people, everybody. And uh, today, the White House staff approaches 2,000 wow. people. Uh, there are, and, and, and there's, uh, you know, there's a, there, there are 400 people in communications at least. We have, we have a state-run media. Uh, we, we have WhiteHouse.gov. We have White House YouTube. Uh, we have uh, White House Internet, White House Interactive Internet. All of these uh, t- running 24 hours a day to burnish the uh, president and his programs. Uh, you know, that's more like a monarchy or a dictatorship than it is like a democracy. Uh, just imagine you're in the communications world all, you know, all your life and think about what, what that means. So we, 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 we can deal with these. We have to trim back the power of the president. We have to say to Congress, get to work. Get, stop spending all your time raising money. I mean, for, for a senator, on average, to run for re-election in 2016, had to raise $30,000 a week for every week of his six-year term. House member, uh, $15,000 a week for every week of his or her six-year term. So we, 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 we got we to gotta tell the Congress, you know, we, we, we're paying you to work. We're paying you to look at these problems. We're paying you to whatever the solution is. You're paying you to help make our schools safer. Deal with the gun problem. Deal with the immigration problem. My God, we've had an immigration problem for a decade. Nobody's dealt with it. 
So it's we can do it. We just have to get the message to our people and probably get some new blood. I think in in this coming election we'll see some new blood. I, I happen to think we'll see a lot of women coming into the Congress uh, in this election. What about, uh, I, I know we bring this up periodically, and people always say, oh, that's for the voters to take care of. But what about term limits? Well, you know, I think, look, I, I, I think there are pluses to term limits, uh, but they need to be long enough. Uh, voters, in some cases, do seem to take care of term limits. You look at the senator from uh, California, Diane Feinstein, mm-hmm. uh, five, six-year terms. And the Democratic Party organization, at least, uh, voted for another candidate this time. Uh, I think that uh, they have to be long enough. In the House, for example, the Republicans have term limits on who's going to be a committee chair. And they give a committee chair three terms. That's really not enough. It's so complex to chair the House Ways and Means Committee that deals with all the taxes and all the Medicare and, and all the banks and insurance companies. I think uh, I think you probably need to maybe go to five-year terms so that you have ten years. But I, I, I have no problem with term limits. We do need fresh blood. There's no question about it. Uh, we, we need new, energetic people. But, you know, one of the things we have to do, uh, it, it, we have to get the money out of politics. There's... It, the candidates and the, the members of Congress spend so much time raising money. And the Supreme Court gave money First Amendment rights. Uh, they really started to do it about 20 years ago, but they, they clinched it with the so-called Citizens United opinion. I think there's enough information now about the co- corruption of money, uh, the soft corruption as well as the hard corruption for Congress, for the court to... Uh, reverse that decision. They've reversed decisions. They reversed the decision in segregated schools. That they, They've done a lot of things. Who do you think would, it, looking around and from your experience in Washington, who makes a good candidate for Congress, in your opinion? Who are the people that you've seen over the years that have what it takes to get the job done? Well, I, I don't want to. St- I don't want to start identifying people because it changes over their time. I think we need someone who is has character, and and you have to look at the whole person. One of the, one of the problems with our democracy, one of the damage to it, we have a world of single issue candidates. Uh, a, a billionaire comes along and says, "All right, Mister or Madam Congressman, you stay with me. I, I'm pro-choice, or I'm pro-life, or I'm pro-gun control, or I'm anti-gun control, or I'm pro-legalizing marijuana or against the. Just stay with me on that issue, and I will give you millions of dollars. We have too many people in Congress that have done that. Uh, that's one thing. The second thing that really is affecting the quality of people and their and their unwillingness to compromise or make a deal or get something done is gerrymandering. You know, you carve out a district. The Republicans are always going to win. You carve out another district. The Democrats are always going to win. You're going through this in Pennsylvania t- today, as you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so the election is the, the primary. That's when the candidate's selected. And in the Republican Party, it pushes the the candidates to the right edges of their party and and in the democratic party pushes them to the left edges and they come to washington 
and they've committed on the far right or the far left to take this position or take that position, and they won't give. And what have they done? They've made compromise a four-letter word. They've really made it difficult, impossible in many cases, to just compromise because of these commitments they made. So we need somebody that, that we can look at, look at the whole person. This is somebody of character. Nobody knows what the Congress is going to deal with. Are they going to have to deal with a, a, a greater war in the Middle East? How are they going to have to vote on, on issues relating to Russia or cybersecurity or building up? Or, or what are they going to do about Why won't they get together on immigration? What are they going to do about the fact that we still have millions and millions of poor people in the richest country in the world. What are they going to do about some of the concentrations of power? That look, look at the larger person. Look at, you know, and I say also, in many cases, vote your gut. You know, you know, you, you, you've, uh, you've, you've been in, in the entertainment world and you come across lots and lots of people. You know, and you get a feeling, you say, boy, that gal, that guy, She's got it, or he's got it. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's straight talking. Uh, I think he'll be there on the tough ones. He'll try and figure out what the right thing to do is. Excellent. Now, you did talk in the beginning about the power of the presidency, and then you talked about, Joseph, the enormous amount of people in the White House, the staff. How many of the decisions do you believe are under the jurisdiction of President Trump, and how many things do you think have been farmed out to other people? How do you see this presidency? Well, this, this presidency and the, most of the ones for the last couple uh, the reality is, is take foreign policy. You have a National Security Council staff in the White House of over 400 people. Uh, the State Department is not making policy decisions. The policy decisions are being made in the White House by General McMaster and, and by the President. And, you know, the Secretary of State is constantly traveling. I mean, you know, Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary, logged a million miles. Kerry logged a million miles. I think our current Secretary is going to log a million miles. Uh, in, uh, and, and even with respect to uh, the Council's office, uh, decisions are made in the White House. You know, when, when uh, uh, President uh, Obama uh, went into Libya, he went to his Attorney General, Eric Holder, and he said, is this the kind of situation where, under the law, I have to either report to Congress or end hostilities in 60 days? And Holder said, yes, it is. You have to do that. So he went to his White House counsel. Staff that used to be one or two lawyers. Now it's about 30 or 40 lawyers, probably more with Trump. And Obama's last counsel said, no, you don't have to do it. And that was the answer he wanted, and that was the one he followed. And when the White House staff is this big and this powerful, it overwhelms the executive branch. It gets harder. You know, we, 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 we see all the stories about Trump. Uh, cabinet officers not able to get any assistant secretaries or get them confirmed or get them cleared or get them up to the to the Congress. Well, part of that problem is when you say to somebody, you know, I'd like to be the assistant secretary in, in Health and Human Services for Medicare, or, and they say, well, wait a minute, what am I going to have to say about it? And then you say, well, you know, there are 20 people in the White House or whatever the number is today that really oversee the department, and they'll probably call the big ones. On Medicare, it's hard to get good people. But in addition to which, the media yeah. makes you know this world of uh, of uh, of, of uh, the internet, which you can say anything about anyone, 
And, you know, if it goes viral, you can catch up with it if it's false, but do you really ever catch up with it? Uh, and that, that, uh, that scares the hell out of potential candidates. And, lastly, I'd say this. We want a candidate who's going to say, what can I do for my district? What can I do for my state? to make it better, to help the people? That should be their first question. What is the first question today? It's how can I raise the money to run? And you'll have the Republican political leaders and the Democratic leaders saying, how are you going to raise the money if you run? Where are you going to get the money from? How are you going to raise it? That's not the world we want to live in. Well, even and we can change it. How? How do you? Well, you say get the money out of it, and and some people are saying the money will somehow get in there. There will be some sort of influencers who still have the ability to get to elected officials. What's well, you make you make a good point, but I would say two things. If the Supreme Court would reverse its decision, in in its decision. They said, you know, we're now in a day when everybody knows who's been contributing, so it's all out in the open. That was one of their rationales for giving money, First Amendment rights. But the reality is that's not true. They were wrong about that. As a result of their decision, we now have something in politics called dark money, where I can contribute to your campaign, and nobody will know it's me. I can do it through a couple of, of, of you know, fronts, so to speak. I think one... We have technology. You know, when you buy something on Amazon, and Amazon knows knows that you like that kind of shoe, or this is the kind of book you read. Or, but you know, we can within, and they know within a minute. We we can within minutes of the of the time money is contributed to a candidate, make it public, put it online. We have the technology to require that. And, and and the court has got to give Congress the freedom to pass a law to do that, and then they've got to do it. And that you know, that'll have a big impact. I also think it, that you know, it's it's a farce. We say, well, under the law, you can only give you and your wife, or you and your husband can only give. Uh, what it's it's uh, fifty four. Uh, sorry, twenty seven hundred twenty seven fifty four hundred dollars to a candidate in a, in an election cycle. That's nonsense. How does how do how do people give a half a million to Hillary or half a million to Trump? Well, they can also give ten thousand to every state, Democratic or Republican committee, and that and that committee can then turn it over to the president. We got to clean that up, you know. That that's uh, that's the sewer that really uh, needs to be swept out, uh, not. Uh, I, and, and there seems to be no indication this president wants to do that. Or, I, but I, but look, we can deal with it. We 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 can. You know, you reach a point where people finally say enough. You may or may not agree with what happened in the Italian election yesterday, but what it really represents is people saying enough. We're getting too much control from the European Union. We don't want it. It just shocked the country. Angela Merkel in Germany was shocked. She she barely patched together a a, a government. Uh, we need, you know, our elected officials need that kind of a shock, and that shock can only come in this democracy from we the people. That's why I say we the people must act. We must vote. We must vote in primaries. We must make our views known. And 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 I believe the American people. The whole point of this book is: here are the problems. Now, come on. Every time we've had these problems, whatever they are, 
you voters, you citizens, you have figured out how to deal with it, how to get around it. You know, we never have a civil rights bill. We never deal with that. Pro- well, we had three civil rights bills during the Johnson administration. Uh, we never, we you know, we never have a, we'll never, you know, Harry Truman's story. Roosevelt said, oh, I can't go for Medicare. Uh, it's too too controversial. I want to get Social Security passed in 1931-32. And then Truman tried and nothing ever happened. But finally, took a while, finally, Lyndon Johnson said, Medicare, as long as I can breathe, I'm going to fight for Medicare. And he finally got it. So we, and, and we now have help for our senior citizens. And George Bush came along, the pharmaceutical company opened it up to pharmaceuticals. We, we, we can do it. We've done it. So let's get up out it. Let's make our voices heard. And that's what this book is all about. Make your voice heard. Here are the problems. You may not have fully understood them, but if you look at our damaged democracy and we the people must act, you'll get a, you'll understand. Yeah, we just we just have a hard time getting that turnout, though, Joseph. Where we live, honestly, it, we hear we preach to our talk radio choir all the time, and I'm sure we have a lot of voters that listen. But at the same time, why can't we fire up everybody to care? Well, that's what I'm trying to do. I, I think we can, and I think uh, you know, attract. That's part of having attractive candidates. You know, people say, "Oh, what difference does my vote make?" Well, if you lived in Virginia. In this last election, a tie a tie vote determined who would control the legislature, the assembly. Because it was a tie vote, it was it was decided by a flip of a coin. Uh, your vote does count, and and uh, and you know maybe you get out there and you, you won't you won't uh, you won't get enough votes to give your candidate a victory, but. You came out there, and you gave enough votes to scare the hell out of that candidate. Uh, and uh, I, I think that's where it's at. And it, and it, and it should be early. It, the reason I say primaries, because of the gerrymandering, but also, look at the last election. You know, we say, oh, my God, how did we get these two candidates? A woman who was kind of entitled and really didn't express any vision, and a, and a guy who was an egomaniac. All right, what happened? Hillary Clinton got the Democratic nomination with 8% of registered Democrats. Trump got the Republican nomination with 7% of registered Republicans. Now, you know, you don't sit back. You've you got to act. And it's not that hard. My God, we have voting places in the local school. We have them in the local firehouse. We have them, you know, there are plenty of them in most districts. So get out there and do it. And do it in local elections, too. But get out there and change. That message can only come from the voters. The only one, ultimately, that really can put the rubber to the road is somebody that can say, you're not going to be a senator anymore. Sorry. We're going to somebody else. You haven't delivered for us. Or you're not going to be a congressman. Or we're not, we don't want you as governor anymore. Get, get out there. You have the power to hire and fire. Think about it. Even if you're, even if you're working in a factory, even if you're working two jobs because you you, you don't you can't get enough income to take care of your family unless you do that, you still have this one one place where you're the boss. You are the boss. What the hell have you been doing for the last twenty years? Get out. 
Joseph A. Califano, Jr. Boy, thanks for sparing all this time for us. I really appreciate it. And uh, your book is Our Damaged Democracy. We the people must act. Can we call you in the future if we need to pick our chins up? Uh, you absolutely can, and I think you got a fine show, so I'm delighted to be on it. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.